Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to gather, not just in a new year, but just another opportunity we have to meet with you, hear from you. And God, I thank you for the privilege it is to not just have this book that we call the Bible, but to know that it is your word to us. You put your word, your will, which is ultimately to point us to Jesus. You wrote it down so that we could have it throughout all generations. And as we begin a new year, God, I pray that you would help us this year to not just read, but submit ourselves to this word. And as we do that now collectively as a church gathered in multiple locations, God, we ask that your spirit would meet with us to help us open our eyes and our ears to see the truth that's in it. Because God, we don't just need this because it's a new year. We need it every day. We need your spirit speaking to us through your word to help grow and change us. And so I pray that you do that now. Open eyes and ears. God, help me to communicate it in a way that honors you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, we're going to be primarily this week in John 15, just kind of laying the groundwork for this season that we call Abide. If you've been here over the last several months, you know we've been teaching through the book of Ephesians, and so far we've done Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, but we always take a break during the beginning of every year to set aside time for a season in a series that we call Abide. And we come back around to a command that Jesus gave us in John chapter 15. And so we're going to take the next four or five weeks, I think it's five weeks total, as this new year kicks off. And again, I have to say this, I feel like at the beginning of every year, it's not 2024, all right? It's 2024. That's how we say this, all right? We didn't say 1978, all right? That was the year I was born, in case you were wondering. It was a great year. And... Uh, we say 1978, we, we say the 90s, right? Which is, it's crazy that the 90s were in the last century. That is crazy. Um, so just to clarify, it's 2024. And uh, if you have a problem with that, call Pastor David, all right? So, or Pastor Chad in Jasper. No, I'm just kidding. But as we begin this new year, as we do every year, we take time, again, to set aside to really lay out our one goal this year, our one goal. I don't know how big you are into New Year's resolutions, and they're fine. I'm not a, a huge New Year's resolution guy in the sense that somehow that the new year is gonna make a new you, right? Everybody's, new year, new you. The problem is it's the same old you from last year, <laughs> right? Still trying to change things this year. And so I'm not a huge resolution guy, although I don't think they're bad or wrong, but what I am big in is rhythms, trying to create a life that honors God. And so we're going to talk a lot about that over this series, 
And the reason why I think it's important to have this discussion is if you were to have a resolution or a goal, it shouldn't be multifaceted. You know, we like to talk a lot about priorities. The problem with that is the word priorities was never meant to be plural. It's singular. Priority. And one priority that we should have at the beginning, not just of every year, but at the beginning of every day, is to do the one thing that will enable us to do everything else. And that's what we wanna talk about in this season called Abide. And as we talk about this season, not only that, but these verses in John chapter 15 that Jesus gives us this command to abide in him, he gives us an illustration. He gives us a picture, if you will. In fact, this is the last of the seven I am statements that Jesus uses in John, and we talked about those in our series in John that we went through for like 16 years. So you can go back and listen to that as well. It wasn't 16, it was like two and a half, all right? But in this statement, not just that it's the seventh one or the last one, I think honestly, it's one of the most helpful ones because he says he is the vine. Now, I think that is so helpful, one, not only because the Bible uses it a lot, but it's, a, it's an image that we can get in our mind that kind of helps us understand the greater spiritual truths at play by understanding how this image works. And that's what I want us to think about. In fact, I've got an image of a vine that I wanna show you, and two primary things I wanna point out in this image that will kind of frame our time in this next five weeks. And so I've got this picture here on the screen. It's a picture of a vine that's being held up by what's called a trellis or a structure. You see there in this picture, you see the vine, and it's wrapping around something that someone built, right? That structure kind of right there in the middle. And the structure is simply holding the vine. And then you see the vine is producing branches and then beginning to start to produce fruit or grapes. So there's two main things I want us to think about as it relates to if we want to see change, see fruit in our life then there's two things that we have to understand. We have to understand the vine and we have to understand the trellis. So I'm gonna give you this point and then we're gonna jump into John 15 and I'll do my best to explain them to you, all right? So here it is, kind of framing our whole time together. The vine is the source and the trellis is the structure. The vine is the source, the source of growth, the source of life, and the trellis is the structure. All right, so that's gonna frame our talk today. So let's look at John 15, and I'm gonna just read out of verse four and five, later verse 10 and 11, to kind of set up these two ideas for us. So John 15, verse four and five, this is Jesus talking. Here's the command. He says, abide in me. The word abide means remain, stay connected to, to be in a state or a condition, all right? Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear, brute, bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, so there's the imagery, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now he tells us, I am 
the vine, or some say the true vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do some things. Is that what, is that, what that said there? It's early, y'all. It's early, all right? I'm suffering some, from some back pain, so I might not have read that. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. Oh, thank you for correcting me, especially Jasper, right? Apart from me, you can do nothing. And that word there is made up of two words, no think. Apart from me, you can do no thing. See, here's our greatest problem in life. Our greatest problem in life is we think, apart from Jesus, we can do some things. We think that we need Jesus when things get really bad, which is why whenever there's a national tragedy or there's a personal tragedy in your life, everybody suddenly gets religious. Have you noticed that? There's a national tra tra tragedy and people are in church. Something goes bad. Something reminds people about how fragile life is. Somebody gets reminded, oh yeah, I don't have the power to do that. Then they show up and they want God. But then as things start smoothing out a little bit and they kind of get back into the rhythm, they're like, oh, I'm, I'm good. And they you know, become that person that shows up at church on Christmas and Easter. You know, we call those CEO Christians, all right? Christmas and Easter only, all right? And I'm not even, I'm not, I'm not ragging on you, all right? I'm, I'm just saying, it, this is what happens in life. I get it. And, and then we don't attend every week. We kind of attend, you know, most people today attend two times a month. I get it. We're busy. We got stuff going. However, what begins to happen is life starts to lull this, this reality into us that apart from him, we can do some things. And we forget the most fundamental truth that the Bible is trying to say to you, apart from him, you can do nothing. Why? Because that is like the branch thinking it can grow something on its own. Think about this. If you've ever been in the woods or been in nature, I mean, obviously we live around a lot of trees and forests around here. If you've ever looked down and seen a branch disconnected from a tree, is that branch growing anything on its own? No. Within a week, even when it got severed off of the trunk of the tree, it might have had some green leaves on it for a minute, which is what happens with a lot of us. We look green for a little while, right? But what's gonna happen? What's gonna happen is they're going to turn colors. And if you know, we just went through fall around here. The leaves, I mean, they're so beautiful when they're turning colors, but you know what's happening when they're turning colors? They're dying, which that can be a good goal to be more colorful as you die, right? <laughs> but do you know why that happens? Because the tree, because of the temperature change, is diverting its resources away from the branches and to the trunk, to the bark of the tree. Because you don't have to have the branch to survive 
as the tree. Let me say it like this. The tree doesn't need the branch. The branch needs the tree. And this is what Jesus is saying to us. Don't get it twisted. You're not the vine. You're the branch. And the key to success or life for the branch is to remain in the vine. And this is what Jesus is saying to us. He is the source. And if you want life, you better remain connected to the source. Now, here's what life is. Life is an exercise of looking for sources. What do I mean by that? As you grow up, especially as a young kid, you see your parents as your source because your parents are the ones that are feeding you and taking care of you. At least that's what they're supposed to do. All right, so you look to them. You rely on them. Then somewhere about 12 or 13, you realize that you're smarter than them and you're better than them, right? And you start to realize, oh, they aren't who I thought they were. So you start to look for other sources. This starts to happen through friendships. You start to look for friends, people that can be the source of happiness for you. So then you start looking for friendships. Then you go through some hormonal changes. You start looking for romantic relationships because your brain's telling you that's what you want now. So you start looking for that. And then you find one that is attractive to you and that works for a little while. And then you start looking for work success, right? You try to find it in what you can accomplish. Then you start looking for it in children. I know what'll do it, another branch. And then you have kids and you realize they're awesome. But then you realize, oh yeah, when I grew up and I became 12, I thought they were crazy. That's what they're gonna do with me. And then your last hope is grandkids, which is why you buy them everything in the world. You're just buying their affection. And then you realize they grow up and leave you and so you get an animal. Because they'll never tell you no. And then you realize very quickly, if you don't feed them, they don't like you neither. Right? I know there's some people in here like, you just described my entire life. I know it's not that hard. But here's what I'm saying to you. You are a branch and you will never find the source in another branch. Never. Just again, think about how crazy this is. One branch saying to another branch, be my source. This is why a lot of people get so disillusioned in relationships. They get so disillusioned in marriage because they think that once they get married, then they will have found their source. Listen, my wife, who I love, in fact, on Friday, January 5th, we had our 22 year wedding anniversary. Yeah, praise God. There's no one on this planet that I love more than Lindsay. And I tell my kids that all the time too. Now they're second. But listen to me. My wife is my spouse. She's not my source. She's my spouse. We are one flesh. And what is one flesh? It's two branches coming together. 
But you wanna know the secret to your marriage? Is two branches staying connected to the same source. Not two branches connecting to each other, looking for the other to be their source. That is the number one way to kill your marriage is say to your spouse, be my source. Be my source of happiness. Be my source of comfort. Be my source of relief. You're going to hang a weight around their neck that will crush them. This is why Jesus is saying this to us. And this is why we must realize where life comes from. It comes from the vine not a branch. Let me give it to you like this, and I'm gonna give you a Latin phrase, not to show you that I'm so smart, because I didn't know this phrase before uh, Thursday, all right? But once I saw it, I was like, oh, this is too awesome. It just makes total sense to me. So I'm gonna say the Latin phrase to you, and then I'll show you the next slide, what it means, all right? Abiding in the vine is the sine qua non of life. And that phrase, if you don't, couldn't tell which phrase I'm talking about, it's those three words there. Sine qua non. That is a Latin phrase. And here's what it means. The sine qua non is Latin. And here's literally the translation. Without which, not. You're like, what the heck does that mean? Next sentence, look at this. Without something, something else is not possible. Without something, something else is not possible. So think about it like this. There are some things in life that are indispensable to the outcome that you want. For example, if you want a fire because it's cold, what do you need? You need a spark. You need oxygen. And you need something to burn, right? So those are sine qua non. What that means is without those things, you're not getting what you want. Think about it like this. These are necessary conditions. Necessary conditions to get what you want. So how we have to start thinking about life is, okay, what do I want? I want to change. I want to be transformed. I want a new you to go along with a new year. And so you might walk into a bookstore and you might travel to the section that is the biggest lie of all mankind. And it's not history, although even that sometimes people like to rewrite. But it's called the self, what, you know? Help section. Self-help, that is the biggest lie of all mankind. They should call it the self-hurt section. That would make more sense. I've hurt myself, but I can't help myself. See, here's what I'm saying. The reason why self-help is a lie is because you, as yourself, that created the problem that is you, cannot be the source of a new you. You see what I'm saying? Let me say it like this. The same you that created you 
can't change you. You need something outside of you. This is like saying, this is like having a section in a bookstore that says branch help section. Branch help. Other branches getting told by branches how to help themselves as branches. You need a vine help section, right? Oh, I just thought this, this is good. Or a divine. Woo, come on, somebody. I felt the spirit on that one, all right? You need a divine help. You need a source that's not you or another one like you. You need one that's not like you. And this is what Jesus is saying. That is him. He is the vine. And apart from him, you can do no thing. You, you can't do anything to change yourself. Some of you see that as a threat, as I've said many times. But here's what I like to think. I see that as an invitation. I see that as Jesus saying, like he said in Matthew 11, come to me and I'll give you rest. Come connect to me and I'll give you life. I'll, I'll be the source with which I know you need. I'll grow fruit on you. I'll grow transformation on you. And what is fruit? The Bible tells us uh, in Galatians 5, the fruit of the spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's what you want. So you have to ask yourself, what is the necessary condition to get what I want? It is abiding in the vine. So let's go verse 10 and 11. You say, okay, I want to abide in the vine. How do I do that? I'm glad you asked. Jesus tells us, verse 10, if... And if you know language, anytime a statement starts with if, it's a conditional phrase. If this happens, then this will happen. If you keep my commandments, you will what? Abide. You will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be empty. Dad, come I did it again. I misread that. What are, and that your joy may be what? Full. Here's the problem with us. We don't believe Jesus when he said that. We're like kids who think their parents are telling them rules because they don't want their joy to be full. See, the biggest problem we have is one of trust, right? Right? It's one of faith. It's one of faith in saying, do I trust or have faith in Jesus that if I do life the way he says it, I'll actually have more joy, not less. And here's what I'm trying to connect for you. If you want to abide in Jesus, remain connected to him as your source, what must you do? You must obey Jesus. Let me give you this point, and I've said this many times before, but I always like to come back around it. Obeying is abiding. Obeying is abiding. 
Obeying Jesus in his commandments is abiding in Jesus. That's what he just said. And here's what's amazing to me. He said, if you keep my commandments, he adds a phrase to it. He says, you will abide in my love. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying or what Jesus is not saying. You don't have to obey him to love you. That's not what he's saying. Because that would be manipulative. No, what he's saying is, he loves us because he obeys his father. And he was obedient to the point of death on a cross so that he could get his branches back. So it's not obedience, watch this, that connects the branch to the vine. Oh, let, me, let me say that differently. It's not your obedience that connects it to the vine. It's his obedience. It is obedience, it's just not your obedience. It's his obedience that connects you to the vine as the branch. But watch this. It is your obedience that keeps you connected. And, and I'm not talking about losing salvation and all that kind of stuff. Again, you can't read too much into these. Uh, you can't stretch these analogies to every logical conclusion, all right? It will fail you at some point. But here's what I'm saying. Jesus's obedience is what connects you to the source and your obedience is what keeps you connected to the source. But your obedience is still empowered by Jesus. But here's what I'm saying. Let me phrase it like this. It's impossible to say you love Jesus, but you don't obey Jesus. Because that's not how relationships work. Again, I just mentioned my marriage. When I got married to Lindsay 22 years ago, we stood in front of God and others, and we made a covenant. We didn't make a commitment, which is what some people think it is. We made a covenant. Two people becoming one flesh. And I said to her, all I have is yours. All $27 in my bank account, right? It's about all I had at that point in time and a lot of debt. Thank goodness I don't have debt now and I got a little bit more. But it's what's mine is hers and what's hers is mine. My body is hers, her body is mine. That's how relationships work. And now we submit ourselves to each other. We'll get back into this in Ephesians 5. We submit ourselves to each other. And what I say is, I want to do what you want which is why we have a 30-minute debate about where we're going to eat dinner, right? Because <laughs> I'm at least trying to say, hey, I want what you want. I, I'm going to, it's not in the sense that like, I'm going to obey her in that sense, or she's going to obey me like I'm God or she's, no, but what I'm saying is I'm submitting my will to hers. And I've used this analogy many times. It would not be a relationship if I told my wife that day, I'm going to give you 51% of myself. And I said to her, well, that's the majority, ain't it? I'm gonna give myself more to you than anybody else. Again, if I would have said that, Lindsay would have been well within her right to walk off. Nobody wants that. But, but what percentage is high enough? 60? 70? You know the answer, don't you? What is it? 100. 
But I think we're so used to nothing being 100 that that's how we apply things to relationships. I mean, think about it. We're in a political season. God help us. And they're doing polls all the time. And what does every politician want? They want at least a majority. They want 51% of the country to approve of them. Because if they have 51%, they can stand up on a podium and say, the majority of Americans. But what I would like to say back to them when they say that, or if it's 50, like majority. Bro, you're like one percentage off from half of us hating you. And you think that's a victory? But we've so lowered the standards, right, of character and integrity and right uh, ruling that we, we, oh, we are ecstatic about that. And so what it begins to happen in our lives is we start to live our lives like this. And we apply it upward back to God and say, God, well, I'm giving you the majority of my time. I'm giving you the majority of my affection. Let me bring this down to a granular level. It's impossible to say that you love Jesus completely if Jesus doesn't get to say how you live your love life, how you live your romantic life, how you do marriage and sex. Because what you're saying is, that's one area of our relationship you don't get to speak into, so that means you have some other God in that relationship or that area. It's impossible to say you love Jesus and he doesn't get to speak into your financial life. It's impossible to say that you love Jesus and he doesn't get to speak into your work life. And I don't like when we put on like life at the end of words like sex life or work life as if they're like all different lives. They're you. What am I saying? What Jesus is saying, if you want to abide in me, then obey me in every area. See, here's what I'm getting at. There's a lot of us where our spiritual life is connected to the vine, but our sexual life is not. Our religious life, whatever that is, is connected to the vine, but our financial life is not. You see what I'm saying? There's a part of you that's connected to Jesus, but not all of you. And the way that you know that Jesus is your source in every area is he becomes the source of truth in your life. He becomes the source of knowledge and wisdom in your life. This is why I tell people all the time, trust God. If you listen to our podcast, then the next step is take a nap. Trust God. Trust God in every area. Do relationships the way God says. Do money the way God says. And people say, I can't afford to do that. You can't afford not to do that. That's like the vine or the branch saying to the vine, I can't afford to connect to you. That is dumb. You can't afford not to connect to him. Because obeying is abiding. Now we gotta move on because can't be here all day. So you have to ask yourself this question. This is how it relates to this season. What structures do I have set up in my life that help me 
abide by obeying. Remember the picture I showed you? It had the vine and it had the trellis. See, the trellis doesn't do anything as it relates to actually producing fruit. All it does is it holds up what the vine does. But if you know anything about gardening, you gotta have a structure. You gotta have a structure. You gotta have something. You've had a tomato plant, same thing. You gotta have something that's holding it up. And the something that's holding it up is the trellis. The something that's holding it up is a structure. The structure is not something in the sense of the growth process that actually makes it happen, but by it being there, it enables something else to happen. That's how spiritual disciplines work. In fact, let me give you this point and I'll explain it. Spiritual disciplines are the trellis structure. Spiritual disciplines are the trellis structure. Spiritual disciplines are things, practices that we can do. See, I can't make a vine grow fruit because I'm not the source. Paul said this to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3. He said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God made it grow. So spiritual disciplines are doing things I can do. They are structures that I create in my life, that we create in our life, that enable something to happen that we can't do. In fact, I love this definition. I use it all the time for one of my favorite authors of all time, Dallas Willard. And I have it here on the screen. Here's, well, here's how he said it. This helped me so much in my life. A spiritual discipline is something that we can do. We can do it. That enables us to do what we can't do. What we can't do by direct effort. See, I can't grow fruit. You can't either. And what I mean by that is I can't change myself. This is why it's not self-help. It's source help. But what can I do? I can create structures that help me connect to the source. I can develop habits or practices or disciplines that help me to do what I cannot do. Again, this is how life works. Think about it. If you made a New Year's resolution of losing weight, you've probably been at the gym, which you'll probably go for the next two weeks and then you'll fall off drastically. Lindsay was having a conversation over the holidays with our family and my father-in-law made a comment to her about, hey, you should come to the gym with us. She goes to a different place. He's like, I just want you to come sometime. And then Jackson pipes up. He goes, yeah, but don't come till the third week of January. You get all those New Year people out of there. He said, for the first two weeks, it's horrible. But then by the third week of January, it starts to thin out. Come then. And I thought, oh, that is such a true statement. And I think the reason is, is because we're motivated to do something. But we're like, I'm not seeing any change in three weeks. I worked out yesterday. And I still weigh the same. That's because you said I built a structure, but it takes time for something to grow. 
But it's a good thing that you started a structure. See, you can't grow muscle and you can't lose fat directly. Don't you wish you could? Don't you wish you could throw away fat like you can throw away trash? You were just like, fat gone, fat gone, fat gone, fat gone. Don't you wish you could do that? Don't you wish you could buy muscle on Amazon? Mm. Ah, I would love that. That's direct effort though. That's not how anything important happens. It's by indirect. So you can't lose fat and you can't grow muscle. That's a vine thing. That's a source thing. But what can you do? You can create a trellis. You can create a structure. You can create disciplines that you can do that enable you to do what you can't do, which is grow. So we'll get into this more next week. What abide is all about, what this season is all about, is that it is about us as a church intentionally creating some trellis structures, intentionally creating and practicing some spiritual disciplines to connect to the vine, to connect to the source. Structures that help us abide by obeying. See, here's the thing. In a relationship, it's not like going on dates and all that stuff is the key to a healthy relationship because you can go on dates and it still not be good. But what it is, what makes a healthy relationship is connecting. But what do dates help me do? A date is something I can do that enables me to do something I can't do by direct effort in connecting. So that's all this is. And this is why this is so helpful for me because no one explained this to me and I'm not saying that negatively, but when I was a young believer, no one explained that to me. I thought I had to do spiritual disciplines. I thought I had to pray, I had to fast, I had to give, I had to do these things because God told me. And if I didn't do it, I wasn't a good kid. And what I failed to see until later in my life is the disciplines weren't the point. They were just the process to get to the point, which was a relationship with Jesus. So disciplines are doing what I can do, which enable me to do what I can't do, which is connect with Jesus. So next slide, very simply, here's just some of the abide details and I'll explain them to you. But if you're new or don't know, abide starts January 15th, through February 4th, and it's a 21-day season dedicated to prayer, fasting, and worship. Prayer, fasting, and worship. So, in eight days, we'll kick off this 21-day season. And what we do during this 21 days is we start to develop some spiritual disciplines. Now, all this information is on our website, all right? You just go to our website, hit the abide banner at the top. It'll explain it. We actually have an abide guide on there. It's a 21-day guide. It teaches you how to do a very simple Bible study method that we practice in all of our small groups called REAP. Read, examine, apply, pray. 
And we have 21 different sets of scriptures on there for these 21 days. So it'll start on Monday, January 15th, and it'll go for 21 days until Sunday, February 4th, of which when we will take communion together as a church as a way to break our fast, which leads me to the second part, fasting. Fasting is simply the process of going without food, your necessary source, and turning to Jesus as your source. Jesus himself fasted. In fact, he began his public ministry by 40 days. And this is when people are like, why do it have to be 21? Well, we can do 40 if you want. Oh, no, 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 21's good. We get that primarily from Daniel when he was in a foreign land and he did a little test with his new you know, superiors and he said, hey, for 21 days, you eat the king's choice food, I'm gonna eat what I eat and let's compare it at the end. And that's now become called the Daniel diet, which is fine, that's another way of fasting. He didn't eat meat, he ate mostly vegetables, fruits, nuts, that kind of thing. But here's what I want us as a church to do. I want you to fast from Two things. First, fast from some kind of food. And when I say fast, I mean don't feast. All right? Fasting is not eating. So fasting is I'm going to go without some kind of food. Now, again, biblically speaking, fast just talks about food. That is the biblical definition. All right? So that's why it needs to have some kind of food component. Now, on our website, you'll see a couple different things, and I've done all of these, and I want to encourage you to do them. One is a complete fast. Now, if you're brand new to this, I probably wouldn't recommend that for 21 days at the outset, but if you've been doing this with us for a couple years, maybe you want to up to that, where you just drink liquids. You just drink, uh, you know, water, maybe protein drinks, you know, something like that, fruit juices, and you go without all you know, food. Or you do some kind of partial fast where I just said, you go without meat. Or you go without, my daughter always says every year that she's fasting from vegetables. Maybe that's, you do that every day, right? But she lined it out. She lined it out just this week, the five different things she's fasting from. You can fast from a certain type of food. You can fast from sugar. You can fast from coffee. Here's what I want to encourage you though. I wanna encourage you to do more than you've ever done before. Do more than you've ever done before. Now, again, there are medical reasons as to why you can't eat, and, all, and I'm not, again, I'm not just saying this flippantly, I understand. But to the degree that you could do something within a healthy range, I want you to pray about doing it. Because what you're saying is, you are reminding your spoiled stomach that it has another source. You're reminding your spoiled heart that it has another source. That yes, you need food because God made you to need food, but you can live without food for a period of time. And the point, listen to me, the point is not just fasting from food. It's replacing it by feasting on the word of God. That's the point. That's why we gave you an abide guide. That's why you have verses and scripture to read. Now you might be doing something else. Lindsay and I are doing a 90 day whole Bible reading plan. So it doesn't have to just be what we provide to you, but it's a great resource. 
And then we want you to pray. And you say, well, what do I pray? Pray the scriptures. Like John 15, for example, you read that and here's your prayer. God, help me to abide in you. Help me to abide in you. Help me to remember that apart from you, I can do nothing. Remind me in every conversation, every time I get into Atlanta traffic, every time I have to face, remind me I can't do this without you. That's how you pray it. And that will liven up your prayer life, by the way. Where you're not just praying for everybody you know and praying for the trees and praying for the weather and praying for world peace. You're actually digging into the word by praying it. And then we'll end it with our nights of worship on Friday the 2nd and Saturday the 3rd. We'll come together, all of our campuses, bring in guest speakers, and we just seek God. We seek God. We sing. We listen to the word of God as a way to kind of punctuate the end of the 21 days. Next weekend, Lord willing, if they come in, we're going to give everybody a journal as well where you can journal. You'll have it for this whole year where you can just journal things God's saying to you, and then you can even use it to take notes and sermons and journal things that are God saying to you as a way to say, this is my abide journal. This is me just taking notes as I abide, as I remain in Jesus, things he's saying to me about how he is my source. So just think about what God would have you to do. Pray about what God would have you to do. The fast doesn't start tomorrow. It starts on the 15th. We strategically place it in between the national championship and Super Bowl, all right? And that's on purpose. Just trying to, you know, be contextual here, all right? But I want you to think about what would God have you to do? What structures do you need to create that enable you to obey? That enable you to abide. Because don't get it twisted. Obeying is abiding. Abiding in Jesus, loving Jesus, is saying to Jesus, Jesus, you are my source in every area. So it's bringing my marriage, it's bringing my relationships, it's bringing my work, it's bringing my money, it's bringing my parenting, it's bringing everything underneath. It's connecting everything to Jesus as the vine. Let me give you one last set of scriptures to show why that's so important. In fact, I'm going to go Old Testament on you. Psalm 80. I'm just going to read this quickly and I'm going to explain it to you because this is the entire storyline of the Bible. Psalm 80 verses 8 through 18. I've got it here on the screen. You might just want to write it down as a reference. This is the psalmist talking to God. He said, you brought a vine out of Egypt. Notice that. You brought a vine out of Egypt. Now he's talking about Israel, the nation of Israel. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and to the shoots, uh, and it shoots to the river. So he's saying, you brought this vine out of Egypt and you planted it in the promised land and it grew. The problem was that vine failed. Look at this, verse 14. Turn again, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son. See, the Bible refers to Israel as God's son, whom you made strong for yourself. Now listen to this, verse 16. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. What the psalmist is saying is we were a strong vine, but we're not anymore. 
And the Old Testament is looking forward to another vine that would come out of Egypt and be planted. Look at verse 17 and 18. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand. Now listen to this phrase. The son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Anybody know what Jesus' favorite term for himself was? Son of man. You wanna know why Jesus picked that term to describe himself? Because he's saying this son of man that Psalm 80 is talking about is him. And then look at verse 18. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us what? Life. And we will call upon your name. So I can't call upon your name until you give us life. Well, how can you give us life if the vine failed? How can you give us life from a source of something that was burned up? It's because that source was a foreshadow, a precursor of another source that was coming, another son that was coming. But this time, it wasn't just the son of man in a natural sense. It was a son of man in the supernatural sense. Here's what the entire Bible is saying to you. Every other source will fail you. But Jesus is the vine. You say, how do I know that Jesus is the vine? You want to know how we know Jesus is the vine? Jesus is the source? Is because they tried to cut him off too. They tried to kill him too. In fact, they did. But this time, it wasn't, oh, come on now. It wasn't just God cutting off the vine. It was God cutting it back. And he cut it back, but then it grew back. It came out of the ground. And now this is what's crazy. In Psalm 80, predicted it, the son of man at your right hand. Anybody know what side Jesus sits on? The right hand of the father. What is the Bible saying? Jesus is your source. Abide in him, connect in him. And that starts by having a relationship with him. By understanding he was the vine that was cut off but it grew again. And here's what's amazing. Romans 9, 10, 11, you can be grafted in to that vine in faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us so much that even when we messed it up, we read the Bible and it's not just that Israel failed, we all fail. Because all of us fail to understand that we can't be our own source. You are the source. You are the thing that without which there's no life. So God, I pray right now for anybody that is here today listening or watching that has never first connected with you, is not in a relationship with you because they didn't understand what you did to become their vine, to become their source, how you were cut off. And I pray right now, God, in faith, they would trust you. No one looking around or talking here as we close, but if you've never trusted in Jesus, you've never connected to Jesus, you've never been saved, but God has opened your eyes today and in faith, you wanna respond, you can pray with me. You don't have to say it out loud, 
It's between you and God, but it goes like this. You can say, Father, thank you for loving me, that you sent your son Jesus to die in my place for my sin. He was the vine that was cut off, but he grew again, came back to life, proving that he is the source of life. So I want to connect with him. Would you forgive me, save me? I have faith in Jesus to be my source. Again, nobody looking around or talking here, but if you just pray to trust Jesus today and you're in one of our physical locations, would you just simply lift your hand up so we can see that? Thank you. We got men and women that are here gonna pass out some resources and when they do, you can put your hand down. But then those of us who have trusted in Jesus, you're connected to the vine. But as I told you, obeying is abiding. So you're connected but it might be a limited connection because you haven't opened up your entire life to the source. And so I don't know what that is for you, what areas of your life where you're struggling to obey Jesus in, but today I hope you would say, I want Jesus to be my source in that area. Which again is not, saying you need to be saved again. It's just repenting. Saying, God, I'm sorry for not looking to you as the source of my relationships, not looking to you as the source of my finances, not looking to you as the source of my happiness. I want to, in faith, believe that you're the source. And then ask him, what structures does he want you to create? Things that you can do, spiritual disciplines that you can do that enable you to hold the growth God wants to grow in you this year. Father, I pray that we would see the vine as the source, but we would also create structures in our life. Do what we can do. Pray, read our Bible, fast, serve, give, gather. Doing things that you've told us to do that enable us to do what we can't do. And so God, I pray in this season that you would grow fruit in us as our source. In Jesus' name, amen.